Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, I've got a great word in my heart for you this morning. It's so good. It's not like that milk's so good. It's better than that. It's good, good, good. Amen. Recently, in our Bible reading, we've been reading in the Old Testament, reading in the book of Ezra, book of Nehemiah, and uh, the book of... uh, Uh, Esther and they're all linked in some amazing incredible way and as I was reading through the book of Ezra I found this phrase that really caught my heart and my mind and then as I continued to read the book of Nehemiah it came up twice again and it's about the hand of God the hand of God on a person's life both on Ezra and Nehemiah. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we need your hand. We need your hand on our life. So Lord God, let our hearts be open to have the revelation of what you want to do in the hearts of your people by your hand. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? So this is the remarkable phrase that is used and it's called the gracious hand of God. The gracious hand of God. Ezra mentions this five times in the book of Ezra. Because Ezra is about rebuilding the temple and getting Jerusalem back on track. And Nehemiah is about building the walls. And here's the first first time that's mentioned. And it's mentioned in Ezra chapter 6. Ezra 6 and the second section of that verse, verse B. And I want to read it to you. And it says this, the king, and the king at that time was Artaxerxes, the king gave him, him is Ezra, everything he asked for because of the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra and the king. Let me tell you a little bit about the king. The king is Artaxerxes. He ruled from 465 BC to 425 BC, 40 year reign. His father was actually Xerxes, who was actually married to Esther. So this is the the son of Xerxes. And so there's this relationship within there concerning Jerusalem, concerning the children of God. Now, Artaxerxes, he ruled in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran, and he ruled in Persia, sorry, sorry, Babylon, which is Iraq, and Persia, which is Iran, and Egypt. And it's an enormous area that he's in charge of. And Ezra asks for the incredible blessing of God to be able to do. Artaxerxes, his Latin name was Longimanus, which means long hand, because his kingdom stretched a long way. And if you look it up, you can see how, how far that this kingdom kind of like stretches. He's an incredibly powerful man. He's influential. 
is incredibly wealthy, Arthur Xerxes, because of Xerxes himself. Suffice it to say that Ezra is there in that picture as well where he asks for stuff. He asks for the hand of God to be upon him, I guess, in his daily prayers, and then it becomes manifest. So the Bible tells us about Ezra that he is a, he is a man of God, that he's actually a priest. He's a leader within the, the nation that's in Babylon at that time. <coughs> and it says this, he was well versed in the book of Moses. And in fact, he was a descendant, a direct descendant of Moses. He was the 17th generation of Moses. So it's a long lineage that comes all the way down. And it was said that God had given Ezra to Israel. What an interesting thing to say. That God would give Israel a man. And that was Ezra. And the king gave him everything that he asked for, every request in building the city of God. And this really, if we were to just stop for a moment and think about this, that when Artaxerxes says, yes, you can go, and in fact, I will give you all of the kingdom to look after from west of the Euphrates to Jerusalem, in fact, he was making Ezra a priest, the one who would rule over this area, which meant that, uh, uh, that Ezra, he then had the power of life and death over that whole area, that province. He could bring any reform and the people would have to obey. This is not a small thing. This is an enormous thing that Ezra is experiencing at this time. That God moved graciously upon him and it says the hand of God moved graciously upon him. So what does it mean to have the gracious hand of God upon you? This is what it means. It means divine favour and care when a request or a demand is made. Divine favour and care when a request or a demand is made. Now, I don't know what type of person that Ezra is other than that he is a godly man who wants to serve the purposes of God and he wants to go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city and he has this burning desire. And what happens is the gracious hand of God was on his life. So this morning, I want to share about just that how to have the gracious hand of God on your life. So let's look at the next time that this phrase is used and might give us a clue as to why the gracious hand of God was upon him. Wouldn't it be good to have the gracious hand of God on your life? I mean, divine care and favour when you make a request or a demand this is what it says in Zechariah chapter nine, uh, 7, verse 9 to 10. And it says this, He, that's Ezra, had arranged to leave Babylon on April the 8th, the first day of the new year. And he arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th. Now that's a four-month journey by camel. 
That's a long way to go. It says, For the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those degrees, decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Here is the clue. Zechariah 7 verse 9 to 10. Look what it says here. It says, if we go back to verse 9, just go. he had arranged to leave Babylon on the April the 8th, the first day of the new year. He arrived at Jerusalem on August the 4th, for the gracious hand was on him. Here is the clue. Next scripture. This was because. Whenever you see that in scripture, that gives us a clue to why. This was because that Ezra had determined to study, to obey the law of the Lord and to teach. Incredibly, three very simple, powerful ways for you to have the hand of God on your life, the gracious hand of God. I want you to note these things. The study of the Word of God, obedience to the Word of God, and the teaching of the Word of God. The gracious hand of God was the result. It was an outcome. It was the overflow because Ezra decided to study and obey and to teach God's decrees. But I missed something out that's so crucial for us. It says this, He was determined. He was determined. Do you know what that word means? It means firmness of purpose. You know, like when you have made a decision, I'm going to get up early every morning and I'm going to read God's Word and I'm going to journal and I'm going to pray and I'm going to let the Word of God dwell in me richly. And all of a sudden, you set that alarm for 4.30 in the morning and it goes off. And you go, oh, just a few more minutes. There goes the determination right there. Or five o'clock, six o'clock, six thirty, and the trains at seven o'clock. Up, shower, dress, bang, boom. Firmness. He decided. He determined. He wasn't going to lose. You know that word determined. It means a bit of grit. Because it's hard work. You've got to pull the word apart. You've got to take time. He was determined to read, to study, to obey, and to teach. And as a result, folks, as an outcome, as a flow, as it just was a matter of sowing into his life, he was reaping the gracious hand of God on his life. Here's the thing. The word of God needs to be studied the rules and the regulations we have to study the word to show ourselves approved work men and women who who aren't ashamed it needs to be obeyed and it needs to be shared these three elements brought the gracious hand of god upon his life and you might say how does this relate to me? Pastor Jim, that's Old Testament stuff. That's Old Testament. 
But let me tell you this, folks. The Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament reality that's revealed. And there are principles and truth in the Old Testament. If we look at them in the light of the Lord, we can see something so important. And so this morning, I'm going to just draw some parallels between what happened in Ezra's life and what can happen in the New Testament believer's life. So firstly this, Ezra was a priest. He was a committed man of God. Can I just read to you one of my favorite portions of Scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Now remember, Ezra is a priest, 17th generation. This is what the Scripture says. You, talking to Christian believers, you. If you're not a Christian believer, just relax, have a sleep, we'll have coffee and a bit of cake later, all right? But if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to hear this. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. You're royal priests. As a result of being a royal priest, you can show others the goodness of God. Sounds a little bit like teaching, doesn't it? For God called you out of darkness into His glorious, His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Whether you like it or not, you are God's people and you are royal priests. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Those who are believers in Christ, you by faith aren't just priests, you are royal priests. Once you did not have an identity, but now you have an identity. Can I just say this to you all? I always knew that you were royal. <laughs> the way that you walk in, because you carry the presence of God. We're royal. Royal priests. Ezra was just a priest. You are royal priests. You got one up on Ezra. Think about that. What does it mean to be royal? Does that mean you walk around with a crown and a cape and a, a big stick and expect everyone to get out of your way and bow down to you? No. In the sense that you're a royal priest means that you have power and authority. Doesn't that sound like a little bit scriptural in the New Testament? Jesus says, all authority and power has been given to me, therefore you go in his name. You are royal priests. You see, that's, that's the Old Testament that Ezra was a priest. Even 17th, can you, we can't really contemplate what that means to another Jew to say, I'm of the line of Moses. People would go, whoa, man, this guy's got it happening. We are the line of Christ. We've been born again of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. We have him living in us. And we're royal, not because of arrogance, but because of what he has done for us. The second thing I'd like to point out to you, this regards the word of God and its rules and regulations. So Ezra's a priest, he's got that going for him. We're royal priests, we've got more going for us. Who could tell me the Ten Commandments? Right off the top of your head. 
that thou shalt not love anyone but God. Uh, can't steal, can't murder, can't commit adultery, can't lie. Don't covet anything. Um, six. What, what? Love, honor your mother and father. Keep the Sabbath. Don't, don't eat your wife's chocolate. That's number nine. Because <laughs> there comes murder. <laughs> now, we can't just rattle off Ten Commandments. But did you know that in the Old Testament, there weren't just Ten Commandments? There were 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And we can't even remember 10. But wait, Jesus made it so uncomplicated for us. He says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Guys, 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 I want you to get this really, really clear. I mean, that's what Jesus would be saying to his disciples, not me. But I want you to get this really, really clear also. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Why does people want to know what the greatest deal is? What's the greatest thing? Jesus says, oh, let me tell you. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the guy who asked Jesus a question says, Okay, great. What's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Jesus makes it so uncomplicated for us to live the life that he wants us to live as royal priests, and he brings it down to two. Do you remember the two? Because it's so uncomplicated. But here's the thing. People often come to me, and they say, Pastor, what do you think I should do? This person really upset me. They just, they made me really angry. And then I say, well, what do you think you should do? You know, they said that they didn't, you didn't, they didn't like your cake and they thought it was off in the morning tea. It really offended me deeply. Well, what do you think you should do? I think I should go over and tell them that I don't like them anymore. And I go, that's what you think you should do. Do you remember this little four-letter thing that would help us understand? W-W-J-D, which was, what would Jesus do? So after someone has told me what they think they should do, I turn and say, what do you think Jesus would do? What do you think Jesus would do if someone upset you in church? What do you think Jesus would say to you? What, well, what would he do? What would he do? He would... Forgive him. Go and tell him you're upset about this, but forgive him. It doesn't get any harder than that, this Christian walk. If we're to love one another... We just forgive because it's the outflow of Christ in our life, of who He really is. It's not complicated. In fact, it's life-giving power that He gives us with these commandments. Because love is who God is, and love brings life. 
It's not destructive. It's empowering. Two commandments. I was talking with a, uh, a couple of pastors the other day and David Harney. And we were talking uh, about end times, funny enough. <laughs> ha ha. And uh, we're talking about, well, you know, maybe, you know, uh, the pre-tribulation, you know, the, the rapture. The rapture is not there in the Bible and maybe taken away up as this and not. And all these pastors who absolutely knew everything were talking about anything regarding when the Lord comes. And then I'm just standing there. I'm listening to them chatting away. And they said, what do you think? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know. But this is what I know. Jesus told me to love him and to love, keep his commandments and love my neighbor as myself. That's it. And after that deep theological argument they all had, they went, yeah, that's right. That's right. That sounds pretty good to me. Keep it simple. Keep it uncomplicated because it's life-giving. Listen to what Jesus says when he was asked, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this. Now listen to this. The entire law, 613 commandments, the entire law and the demands of the prophet, which represent spirit, you know, spirit, are based on these two commandments. Everything that is foundational, that comes from the law, 613, everything that's based on the spirit, they hang, one scripture says, hang upon these two things. Everything is fulfilled. We are to obey what Jesus says. You will love me if you keep what? My commandments. Listen to this, Proverbs 7 verse 2. Obey my commandments and live. If you obey his commandments, you will live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. John 14 verse 21. Jesus says those. Those who accept my commandments, so you have to accept them and obey them, are the ones who love me. If you accept them and obey them, then you love him. And because they love me, my Father will love them. Reciprocation. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Sometimes Christians have a problem with obeying the commandments of God, let alone the commandments of the world. You know, last week Pastor Pavey spoke about the internal conflict that we have of disobedience and obedience. Why do I suffer from trying to do what I want to do and I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do it? Who's going to rescue me? And we know that Jesus is the one who rescues me. But why? 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 Why is it when temptation comes and I want to disobey? If you don't know why, I'm going to tell you why. Very simple. Sin is pleasurable. Sin is enjoyable. I can tell you that because this is what the scripture says. Hebrews chapter 
12, verse 25, it says this. It is fleeting, the fleeting, the fleeting, the fleeting pleasure of sin. It is pleasurable for what? A season. A season, a moment. Sin is enjoyable. But folks, after that, there comes the consequences of sin. And we all know that when we've sinned, and if we say that we do not have sin, we are deceiving ourselves. But when we sin, it's that moment of pleasure that we want. But after that, the consequences come. I had this written in one of my Bibles, and I've said it before, but I'll say it again because I think saying it helps us to remember what sin does for us. Sin fascinates, and then it assassinates. Sin thrills, and then it kills. Sin employs, and then destroys. That's what sin does to us. It is a murderous thing. We know that out of sin came murder. So what do we do? We obey. We obey. Don't be deceived. If you want the gracious hand of God to be on your life, then those three things, study, obey, and the next one is to teach. Listen to what it says in the New Testament about teaching. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. Thankful in your hearts. We are to teach and counsel each other with wisdom. So as we're growing and we're not knowing, we teach each other. We're to encourage each other. Hebrews 10 verse 25 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is near. This is how you have the gracious hand of God upon your life, folks. You're studying the Word, you're obeying the Word, and you're teaching the Word of God, the favour of God. And what happens now that we are all reading the Word, studying it, obeying it, and teaching it, what happens then? Well, the book of Ezra tells us what happens to him. In Ezra 7, verse 11 to 26, there was an enormous amount of resource and silver and gold that Artaxerxes gave Ezra. I mean, if you read it, take the time to read Ezra. It's astounding. Ezra is an appointed overseer of this area because he was determined to study, obey and to teach. Well, that's great, Pastor Jim. Thank you very much. Can we go home now? No, you can't because there's three more things I want you to note. This is what happens when the gracious hand of God is on you. Ezra chapter 7 verse 27. This is what he says. Praise the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who made the king 
want to beautify the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and praise him for demonstrating such unfailing love to me by honouring me before the king, his council and all his mighty nobles. Do you know when the, the amazing, unfailing hand of God comes upon you, it brings favour and encouragement. Favour and encouragement. Honouring before the king. It is such a cool thing when God brings honour into your life. You don't do anything for it. You're just obedient to God. But then God opens a door for you to, for something to happen or puts you in a place where you're blessed and God honours you. You know what is uncool? Is when people try to honour themselves and get honour for themselves. It is an ugly, ugly thing. Striving to get something that was not ever set for them. And they never get it because it's never from God. So that's what happens when you are studying, you're obeying and you're sharing the word of God. It's the outflow of that life that God has for you. The unfailing love of God is manifest, bringing honour and encouragement. Here's the other one, Ezra chapter 8 verse 18. And he says this, I, I just love this, it says, Since the gracious hand of our God was on us, they sent a man named Sherebiah, along with 18 of his sons and brothers. He was a very astute man, a descendant of Mahila. He was a descendant of Levi, son of Israel. They also sent Hashahabiah, together with Jeshahiah, from the descendants of Merahiah. There's a lot of ayahs going on here. And 20 of his sons and brothers. Do you know what happens when the hand of God comes upon you? God brings people into your life to take you on this journey called life. Friends and family. Can you imagine all of a sudden you're by yourself and you set out? You see, when Ezra set out and he called the people that were living in Babylon, a foreign land, a place where they're supposed to be, he said, we're going back to Jerusalem to build the temple of God. It says in the scripture that not many came with him. And, and, and as you're reading the scriptures, it's almost like this, Ezra, is, he's upset that they're, they're not going with him. But God sent those that he knew who would go with him, a man with 18 sons and another man with 20 sons. That's some crowd to go along the journey. And God will call people into your life, folks. He will bring people into your life to help you get through this journey called life that God has for us, which is exciting. That's what happens when the gracious hand of God is upon you. And the third thing is this. God brings protection. Ezra 8 verse 31. It says, we broke camp at Ahava uh, Canal on April 19 and started off to Jerusalem. And the gracious hand of our God protected us from the enemies and the bandits along the way. That was a four-month journey from one place to another, four months, by camel, sometimes walking, you know, going through deserts, going through places where there are bandits and thieves. But God brought protection. The outcome for your life is when you are doing what God has called us to do and the gracious hand of God is on us, is protection. God protects you. 
It doesn't matter if the floods come. It doesn't matter if the fire comes. Yes, there'll be all that stuff, but God will protect us in all of it. Now, I want to finish with this thought. I want to add something. I want you to learn and to know that the gracious hand of God is already upon you now. It is already upon you now. John 1 verse 16 says this, From His abundance, think about this, from Christ's abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Another version says, we have the fullness and received grace upon grace. Did you know that in Christ, you are now already blessed and the gracious hand of God is already resting on you? You don't have to study and you don't have to obey and you don't have to teach because that's Old Testament. But the gracious hand of God is upon you. Because what happens then, some people say, well, where is the gracious hand of God upon me? Why isn't it there upon me? It is upon you. But let me just say this. You will never know what the gracious hand of God will do in your life unless you study the Word of God and unless you obey the Word of God and unless you share the Word of God. The Scripture tells us that He has given us Everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So we have everything we need. The thing is, we don't delve into the Word of God to see how it works. My old Bible president, Pastor David Cartledge, would say this as he was preaching to us. Work the Word, because the Word works. And I was like 26 like this. Work the word, because the word works. We have to work the word. And when we work the word, we're obeying the word. We're believing the word. You know, sometimes I have found with some Christians, they've said something like this. Well, I don't believe that God could bless me. Or that he would bless me. Or that I'm good enough to be blessed. It's not about you. It's about him and how he pulls us into the family of God. It's because of the work of Christ that was complete, like Pastor Randall said this morning. It's finished. The door of grace is open to us all. We are under the gracious hand of God. But we need to know how to work out the gracious hand of God. Because simply some people do not believe that God is for them and that he is not against them. And they live in a world of, oh, yeah, well, gee, God, God just isn't, doesn't really care about me and love. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you and he wants you to be empowered in your life with his gracious hand upon you. He wants the gracious hand to be manifest in your life. And it's about believing and trusting and walking in that. Because if you don't believe it, you won't walk in it. And we have to believe for the gracious hand of God to be upon our life. Sometimes I've, I've felt, God, I don't know if you can do that. What a stupid statement to make. 
He calls things out of nothing. He's gracious to us. It's about faith and believing what he's done for us and working the word. How do I know that to be true? You know, sometimes you, you, people say, well, I can believe God for this, but I can't believe God for that. I'm good at this level. I believe salvation, but I don't know if I can get to that next level. You know what he said to his disciples? You of little faith. Jesus was with him, with them, and they wouldn't believe. And Jesus is doing the miraculous. Do you want the miraculous in your life? Yes. Why? So the Son of God can be made manifest and people can see the power of God is as real as we are standing and sitting here this morning. But I must believe. All things are possible to him that believes. It's not about God not being able to do it. It's about me not engaging in believing that God is able to do it and walk in what God wants me to do to see these things happen. The gracious hand of God is upon us. So this morning, let's agree to study the Word, to obey the Word, to teach the Word, and believe the manifestation of the gracious hand of God is already upon us. Amen? I want you to stand this morning. And I want you to come for prayer this morning. And I want you to come for prayer for this now. If you're online, I want to pray for you first to believe for the gracious hand of God to be upon you, the favor of God. That when you believe Him to intervene in your life, that God will do it in a miraculous way. Because it's His grace and it's His power that can bring a release in our life. So Father, I pray for those online right now in Jesus' name. Your gracious hand that is already upon, it, upon them, let it be manifest this morning in Jesus' name. And as we obey Your Word, as we learn from Your Word, and as we share Your Word, the reality of Your Word would be made manifest in grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.